0: Welcome to TSE Pods, the podcast series from the Taipei School of Economics and Political Science. Join us for enlightening conversations over a cup of coffee with some of the brightest minds in the fields of political science and economics. Whether you're on the go or relaxing at home, TSE Pods brings the world-class insights of our guest scholars to you. For our first episode, we have one of our visiting professors here at TSE, Professor Amitav Acharya. Acharya is a distinguished professor of international relations at American University at Washington, D.C. He became the first non-Western president of the International Studies Association when he was elected to the post for 2014-2015. to 2015. His expertise is in international relations including constructivism, ASEAN and Asian regionalism, and global international relations. Good afternoon, Professor Acharya. So we know that you are a well-beloved international relations scholar. Um, What led you to pursue such a career?
1: I think international relations was always uh, on my mind by just uh, reading newspapers and uh, listening to radio, of course, uh, uh, later TV, but when I was growing up, I didn't have a... um, TV. My family didn't have a TV. So it's it's the news about the world and reading papers. i just uh, always curious. I'm naturally curious what happens uh, in uh, different countries. And uh, then when I went to college, um, I had a chance to actually study political science and part of the political science was international relations. Then it got me to uh, be interested in traveling So if there is a one answer to your question, it's my interest in traveling that got me to study international relations. Because I felt that uh, (laughs) if you uh, study international relations, you get to travel a lot and uh, see different countries and vice versa. If you travel a lot, you study, know more about other countries. So I didn't make any uh, specific uh, plan for like, uh, I can get a better job or Mm -hmm. um, get more money. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was no such calculation, nobody advised me, my parents left me completely alone to make my decision, but I think I just became very naturally attracted to learning about the wider world and to travel uh, as much as I can to know about it. So no Mm -hmm. academic uh, uh, or professional sort of inspiration or financial uh, incentive, just my instinct.
0: And also traveling. So I guess um, you have been to so many places. Can you walk us through your experience as an IR scholar traveling the world? And what do you love about it? What is your research interests as well?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think uh, a person's research, in my case, in my research, has been deeply influenced by uh, where I have traveled to. Uh, and again, I don't make any. I didn't make any plan that I, after my PhD. I'll work here um, and then go there. there's no sort of master plan so I went to Australia to do my doctorate um, again that was uh, somewhat accidental because uh, I wanted to go abroad and I tried to uh, get a fellowship uh, scholarship in the US and uh, UK and Australia and Canada and the best scholarship I got was from Australia mm-hmm. uh, so and meaning that I didn't have to earn any, do any work uh, and it covered my everything so, so, so I ended up there and in the beginning it was not my intention to be a professor um, so again the idea was uh, to study and travel uh, rather than uh, make international relations or be a professor I could have uh, you know when I was doing my doctorate I wasn't sure I want to be a professor I could be a, I was thinking of becoming a journalist because more travel there uh, or work for uh, the government like a foreign service um, doing international relations. In fact that was pretty much what I was thinking until the last year or so of being um, my, my PhD. So then in Australia, I learned that uh, there's an academic community, and um, they, you know, there's quite interesting. Uh, you get to go to conferences, uh, you go to meet a lot of people, and you're not working for anybody, you're working for yes. yourself. You know, there's no government or company boss to report to. Academia gave us more freedom to do what I wanted to do, and that um, made me attracted to academia. So I changed my mind from doing either media or diplomacy. To being a professor Uh, and my my research interests change when I travel to different countries but again where do you get your best job so my first job was in Singapore and I ended up at uh, a total of 10 years in Singapore in different stages 10 to 11 years and that's what I got interested in Southeast Asia because Southeast Asia Singapore is part of Southeast Asia so my initial work after my PhD was on ASEAN and Southeast Asia because of the location where I was Although my PhD topic was to do with U.S. military policy, a military strategy in the Middle East. But my postdoc work was all about Southeast Asia. And I was very interested in learning about uh, how Southeast Asian countries develop cooperation through ASEAN. Then I got a job in Canada. And Canada is known as uh, its advocacy of uh, uh, global governance, multilateralism, humanitarian Mm -hmm. intervention. And uh, that's what I got interested in. So not the regional, as in Southeast Asia, Singapore, but global Um, and especially the Canadian foreign policy concerns like uh, multilateralism, peacekeeping, uh, human security, humanitarian intervention. Um, So in Toronto at York University, that became a very major research focus. Uh, then I, uh, in Canada itself, but uh, I spent a couple of years also after that in uh, US at Harvard University and uh, I worked with uh, um, a scholar called Ian Johnson, uh, Ian Alistair Ian Johnson, who is a pretty famous China scholar. But my, uh, we worked together not on uh, East Asia but uh, on uh, international relations theory, constructivism, and uh, I became very interested in constructivism while uh, at uh, uh, Harvard, but also a little bit uh, when I, uh, my later stages in Toronto as well. And constructivism was becoming a new theory uh, in the 1990s, late 1990s, early 2000. So I kind of married my interest in Singapore um, on ASEAN, then in Toronto on multilateralism, and then in Harvard on constructivism. Uh, And I use constructivist theory to study regionalism and study multilateralism and vice versa. So that became a very major area of my focus because uh, a lot of my early theoretical work is to challenge the western views on multilateralism and regionalism by applying constructivist theory. So one of my major books, Constructing a Security Community in Southeast Asia, is a very good example. So it's about constructivism it's about asean but it's also about regionalism and as a form of a global uh, cooperation and all these things came together so that's the book that I, uh, actually uh, helped my career a lot to become a full professor and then write published articles uh, in international organization the top journal in uh, international relations field and many other world well, politics international studies quarterly so my career basically took off by trying to marry IA uh, theory of constructivism, my uh, Southeast Asia cooperation, ASEAN cooperation, and uh, um, global governance and multilateralism. And uh, later, as I finished uh, with in US and were, when came back to Singapore, uh, this was my last uh, uh, sort of posting, so to speak, mm-hmm. in Singapore. I was becoming more and more interested in. Uh, sort of non-Western IR theory. Uh, Because after having worked in both the West and uh, in Asia, I was getting very aware that international relations doesn't really capture uh, the reality or the history and the culture and the, uh, say, contributions of Asian countries. And in some ways, not just Asian countries, but non-Western countries. Uh, And uh, when I came back to Singapore, Uh, in 2000 and uh, stayed until 2007 I really got interested in non-western IR theory Uh, so uh, using my my base as a professor and a research director in uh, Nanyang Technological University I invited a lot of scholars professor Barry Buzan one of them Ian Johnson among uh, others and we developed this project on uh, why is uh, there are no non-Western IR theory and uh, then what can we do about it? Why is international relations so dominated by the West, the histories yes. and ideas and philosophy of the West? Why does it marginalizes, ignores the non-West? Because you know international relations should speak about all the countries, all the societies, but why is it so focused on only Europe or United States? Gets most of his theories from Western or European history, culture, Egypta. This is a bias, but what's the reason for it? Is it like a racial bias? Is it simply because the non-Western countries don't have uh, enough institutional capacity, like study uh, the study and uh, teaching of international relations, or is it because uh, something else? I mean, it could be just, uh, you know, everybody accepts, including Asian scholars, that the West is better, and West uh, we just go and get trained in the West and come back and or stay there and work in that field. So uh, out of that, um, there was a very powerful uh, change, uh, m- moment of change in uh, my, my thinking. And uh, from Singapore, I uh, then went to, uh, uh, first to UK, Britain, uh, Bristol, and then uh, went to US again at American University. And that's where I developed non-Western IR theory into global IR, global international relations. So in the vantage point about the heart of the West, challenging Western dominance, both in theory and practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, In theory, uh, challenging the mainstream IR theories, realism, liberalism, constructivism, uh, but also in practice, the liberal international order, the American foreign policy, liberal internationalism, I also started challenging it. So there are two streams of work, one theoretical. So non-Western IR theory became global IR because as a global IR is more inclusive and it's not negative, like non this, non that, it's, it's more, more uh, inclusive and uh, like an umbrella concept on theory and on uh, practice, the practical side or empirical side, uh, challenging the idea of American-led univ- uh, liberal order and saying that the world is much more diverse, much more complex, not everything was created or managed by the U.S and even if it was for a period of time after world war ii now with the rise of the rest rise of china rise of india uh, the world is becoming much more uh, sort of uh, complex and uh, pluralistic meaning that the relative importance of west is going to diminish not disappear but diminish and it's a time we think about world order uh, in the post-western Uh, what I call multiplex uh, way rather than uh, the traditional, uh, what is called liberal hegemony of the United States. And that's basically what uh, uh, I have been developing more and more. And that, of course, gaining a lot of uh, international recognition, that kind of work. And I'm still, in a sense, continuing that while not forgetting Southeast Asia. Uh, So there you go, different stages in Australia, got a sense of an academic life. In Singapore, ASEAN, in Canada, multilateralism and, uh, you know, human security and and those uh, global governance uh, at Harvard and uh, uh, constructivism uh, and uh, using uh, constructivism to study Asian and international relations. And then uh, back to Singapore, doing non-Western IR theory, then through UK to United States at the heart of the so-called West. Uh, challenging Western dominance, both in theory and, uh, and in practice.
0: I see. Thank you very much, sir, for that really inspiring um, um, answer. Because before going to Taiwan, I was actually following your work already. And um, I would say that, that those are my interests as well. So um, for aspiring IR scholars like me or like us in the room, um, what would you say are the top three skills? an IR scholar should have or should hone? Uh,
1: okay, uh, first of all, um, I mean, uh, it's not just a skill, it's a question of motivation. You should really ask yourself, why am I doing this? I mean, uh, are you doing this because you're going to get a job or is it because you are really interested? Uh, you have to uh, really believe in what you're doing. Otherwise, mm-hmm. don't do it. So so there is an uh, in international relations, like any, any subject is... Uh, not really from the mind, it's from your heart. Um, so you have to really be prob- motivated and think, this is what I really like, this is what I like to do. Then, in terms of skill, I think it's very important to have a good writing skill. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, uh, writing, uh, of course, uh, in this case, it has to be English because that's the language of international relations these days, or has always been. So develop. A good writing skill um, now some of them some of you already have it but I uh, use can also there's no harm in getting extra training and uh, then of course writing and reading goes hand in hand so read as widely and uh, use uh, you know different kind of writing skills books as uh, models for your own writing uh, develop that the second thing is uh, of course research skills research skills are, uh, they can vary widely, but the ability to collect and analyze data um, from a variety of sources—secondary sources, Secondary sources are like books, um, or primary sources like newspapers and databases—and um, sometimes also through interviews. Interviews are very good skill. Um, that's really important. Developing uh, data data that is not easily available, data that has been collected from uh, many places and they are known but never been put together uh, you know, to support your argument um, before. So, so that uh, doesn't necessarily mean doing statistics or um, quantitative studies, there's a lot of qualitative yes. re- research or skill that uh, you need to um, acquire. And um, the third thing, I think, uh, in most cases, having a foreign language skill is very important. Uh, it's not absolutely necessary, uh, since uh, you know many of you, like in even Taiwan, uh, so English uh, is a foreign language. So you are already trying to get a foreign language skill. Uh, so you may not have time for another language. Uh, but uh, so in that case, just focus on English as much as you can if you are English speaking uh, um, from birth then you should definitely learn another language like uh, Chinese or Indonesian or, or Japanese that really adds a uh, value uh, makes your work more interesting doesn't mean, mean you should become an area specialist you can still remain theoret- theoretical more general but not necessarily uh, you know um, uh, have to write about a particular country but still, having a language skill is always interesting. It add something. You can use that country as a case study and generalize from, and also suddenly gives you more credibility, more options. I so see. those are the three things I'll
0: okay. I see. And also, um, so for our listeners, Professor uh, Amitavacharya just recently joined us as a here at National Tsinghua University as a visiting professor. And, uh, Professor, we would like to know how is your NTHU TSE experience so far and what is your message to TSE students and aspiring TSE students?
1: So as you know I came uh, (laughs) during the pandemic so my first uh, uh, experience uh, of meeting people uh, at uh, the TSE is all online and uh, I gave online lectures so I never set foot uh, in uh, TSE until last week um, so it's a bit unreal, very unusual. Um, so uh, in that context, uh, it has been to the extent that you could relate to this an on, online way. It's been really great. Uh, I find uh, the the vision of a school uh, in Taiwan uh, modeled loosely after the London School of Economics or well, having its own characteristics, that's a very interesting vision and a very important vision. And uh, that is attractive in itself. Then the faculty that uh, have come together uh, online, but now in person, very impressive group of people from you know, around the world. Uh, and that says that's, that's very good things about TAC. And then of course, uh, not the least for sure, the students, uh, again, uh, we are really the first uh, cohort of students who are under TAC. Uh, last year was more like uh, it was uh, different departments in NTHU that admitted mm-hmm. the students uh, that ultimately will be part of KSE. So I think the students' diverse background is very interesting. Having students from Asia, Latin America, uh, and uh, United States, Australia, uh, really is uh, very critical. Uh, studying political science, political economy, and international relations. And uh, I think the facilities are excellent and uh, the ambience is good. It's a very uh, uh, open and a very exciting kind of a place. Uh, So let's hope that it will continue to grow with the addition of uh, more students and uh, and more faculty, especially more uh, uh, permanent faculty, not just visiting faculty like myself. And uh, I think it's off to a very good start and has a very promising future.
0: Sir, what is your message to TSE students and aspiring TSE students?
1: Um, I would say that make the most of it. I think Taiwan is a very unique place. Uh, It's a a democracy. It's uh, also um, not uh, traditionally Western and uh, it is very open society. Uh, It provides a kind of a, in a sense, uh, you know, Example of a uh, place which is open to the world in trade, in in terms of uh, political uh, values, uh, democracy. So try to make the most of it uh, because you don't have there some restrictions that say starting mainland China will face. You know, in terms of political restrictions. At the same time, it's very Taiwan is a very developed country with all the good infrastructure, so you don't have the constraints on infrastructure that you might have in other countries like good library or uh, uh, just internet access and all. Um, Then you have to also build a community. I think the students need to come together uh, outside the classroom more than inside the classroom. So, I was talking to some of you last night over dinner that created like a debating club um, that you could invite. Um, ambassadors or diplomats and uh, you know visiting professors uh, to debate and talk to each other Um, not just give seminars but actually have a forum that is led by students not by professors Uh, so you should actually organize it front and center and um, doing the podcast like this is very useful but try to try to have an identity that as a group of students you are kind of distinctive you're studying um, economics and political science and in a, international relations uh, and, uh, and you have uh, a very open democratic and uh, universal outlook. You are in Taiwan, but you are also part of the global uh, world. At the same time, you know, capitalize on the, the, what is really good about Taiwan, that it is a uh, open society. It's a democratic con- a country and uh, it has uh, also good infrastructure and resources those those things don't combine uh, very well in many countries a non-western country which is very developed in infrastructure very open uh, to the outside world in economics and in very open domestically in politics Uh, almost nowhere we can find this these days maybe to some extent Korea uh, but uh, or or Japan uh, but I think Singapore maybe, but the Singapore political system is uh, much more restricted. Uh, mm-hmm. So, to make the most of it.
0: That is truly inspiring, Professor Acharya. Thank you so much, Professor, for sharing your experiences and words of wisdom to us. We will keep all of these in mind. To our listeners right now who wants to be in IR, I guess start reflecting on why am I doing this and do I believe in what I am doing? If you wish to hear more from the world's leading scholars in political science and economics, stay tuned in only here at TSE Pods, the official podcast of the Taipei School of Economics and Political Science. To stay updated, visit our website at tse.nthu.edu.tw and do not forget to subscribe. See you on the next episode.